Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 104 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Ayers Sumra. Ayers, how are you doing? I'm good, Joey. How are you? Very good, my friend. Very good. Right, we're going to crack straight into the review part of the show. There's not too much to go over um, from last week, a little bit. And, of course, this week there's a little bit on as well. So should be quite decent. There should be quite a few decent talking points on this show. Just before we get into it, this is episode 104. And in that time, well, by the end of this episode, we'd have brought you another two guests. So in 104 shows, we've brought you 211 guests, 34 different world champions in that time as well but enough of the boasting let's go on to the reviewing so we're going to start last week a card that happened in the mohegan sun casino in connecticut usa one fight to mention on the bill heavyweight prospect cassius cheney 10 and 0 going in against a man called john bolden didn't know anything about john bolden but actually a real bad start to the fight there cassius cheney found himself on the deck in round one but he managed to get up in the first round there and win a unanimous decision over six rounds so a bit of a gut check there for Cassius Cheney all the very best to him Uh, moving over now to the Meadowbank Sports Centre in Edinburgh Scotland United Kingdom I actually didn't know that this card was shown on TV so I didn't actually see any of this did you see any of this card at all as the uh this was the one with Gary Cornish and Sam Sexton topping the bill you missed that one. All right, no worries. Gary Cornish, 24-1, and one, took on Sam Sexton, 23-3. and three. Sam Sexton, I mean, if you look at some of his recent fights, he hasn't even fought anybody, um, well, not, not too many people anyway, with winning records in his last few fights. So God knows how he managed to get in position to fight for this title. But it was vacant, of course. Everybody has wanted this British heavyweight title for quite a while. A few guys, um, you know, are trying to chase this belt. As I said last week, the likes of Dave Allen, etc. And these two guys fought for it. I don't really think too many people were very pleased with that. Um, Sam Sexton, though, picked up the unanimous decision win over Gary Cornish. So Gary Cornish, he served up his second loss there. Um, you know, he was, I think he was in position to become the first heavyweight champion um, from Scotland to win the, the, you know, the British title. So very upset for him. But yeah, that's, you know, that's a bad loss there to Sam Sexton. Of course, he had the one loss prior to this, which was to Anthony Joshua. No shame in that whatsoever. He definitely could have come again, but he's come up short against Sam Sexton. So that's a bad blemish there. Gary Cornish now 24-2 and two, and the new champion, the new British heavyweight champion, Mr. Sam Sexton, 24-3. and three. On the undercard there, though, Stephen Simmons, a man who I actually quite like, he was fighting for the vacant IBF East and West Europe cruiserweight title against Simon Barkley. Simon Barkley, 9-1, actually a good fighter himself. It was a unanimous decision win there for Stephen Simmons. His record now 18-2. Simon Barkley, 9-2, not looking good for him. Um, There was... 
on the undercard also, Paddy Barnes, he moved to 4-0 and with a win over a guy uh, a guy who was a bit of a journeyman. Really, his record was 5-7. and seven. It's now 5-8 and eight with one draw. His opponent was also down in that second round. But Paddy Barnes got the points win over 6. So all the very best to him, of course. A man also on that bill, also fighting on that bill, called Gary Murray. He was 12-0. and 0. Um, He was knocked out brutally, and he was taken to hospital after the fight. So all the very best to him. Our thoughts are with him of course moving over now to the card that happened in Stuttgart Germany um, I'm going to talk about the undercard firstly Leon Bauer he's actually a bit of a prospect 12 and 0 he actually picked up a draw here against a man who was only 3 and 1 so that's a bad bad minor blemish there for Leon Bauer now 12 and 0 but he's got the one draw against a man who's 3 and 1 that's just not good there Zach Park was also on the bill of course he's now signed with Sauerland on the back of that Brutal first round knockout against Luke Blackledge recently. So Zach Parker moved to 14-0, and 0, a unanimous decision over eight rounds against a man who was 9-6 and 6, called Matingu Kindele. Um, also on the bill, Stefan Hartel. He moved to 15-0, and 0, a majority decision against Viktor Polyakov, who's a decent fighter, but his record's 13-1 and 1 with one draw. So... A little bit lucky there, Stefan Hartel. From all accounts, he was a little bit lucky to get the win. Some people had uh, had Polyakov winning that fight. Fira Arslan picked up a knockout in round seven against his opponent, Alejandro Emilio Valori, whose record was 24 and 12, now 24 and 13. Fira Arslan, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's about 47 years old. I'm not even exaggerating there. His record now, 41 and 8 with two draws. And of course, the main event now for the IBO World Super Middleweight title, Chris Eubank Jr the defending champion on foreign soil 25 and 1 took on Avni Yildirim the tough man from Turkey 16 and 0 boy oh boy it was uh it was you know firstly it's pretty annoying because of course this this card and the main event clashed with other main events so I actually was watching this on the laptop finally found the stream um and then Obviously, the other fights were on uh, on one channel, and there was another fight on the other channel. So I was recording one, watching one on the TV, and uh, watching one on the laptop. So it was a bit annoying when that stuff happens. But no, you know, from what I did see, I had to have the uh, the commentary down, and I was kind of watching the Selby fight as well, which we'll talk about in a moment. But yeah, from what I saw, Chris Eubank Jr. really, straight away, I don't think he respected Yildirim too much at all. I felt that he probably took a few shots in the first round and thought, you know, this guy can't hurt me. And despite the guy being quite broad, quite strong looking, uh, Chris Eubank was really able to, you know, press the action and kind of go towards him, meet him center of the ring and push him back a bit. So that was a little bit surprising because, you know, in that first round, for, for, for the first half of the round anyway, Chris Eubank uh, Jr. Was, was, was fighting off the ropes a lot. He was fighting, you know, on the back foot boxing with a good jab, really good jab, which we don't really see from him too much. And, um, you know, he, he kind of started off like that. I think he gave the guy a bit of respect in that first round. And then as it kind of progressed, he just, you know, become more and more confident. The guy couldn't hurt him. And he was just unleashing his, you know, his, his eye-catching combos. There was a knockdown in the first round where Yildirim, it was it was a funny one because he, he, he took a shot and then went down on his, like, on his, on his, on his front knee, like his lead knee, if you like. But his hands didn't actually touch the you know, the canvas at all, so it was like he kind of got, he got hit and he kind of dipped down, so 
a little bit too, too a little bit too far down where he actually touched the cameras with a knee. But yeah, you know that was that was obviously ruled a knockdown. But it wasn't it wasn't one where he got you know really hurt or anything like that. And then of course the second round was pretty much the same kind of thing. Chris Eubank Jr. looking decent there, having to yield him. You know he come back a little bit, looked looked okay. And then in the third round, of course, um, Chris Eubank just went looking for him and recorded a very, very impressive knockout in that third round. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I know it was like the two hooks that, that, that finished Avni Yildirim. I think it was a right hook followed by a left hook that knocked him, literally his body done a 180 turn and he fell almost on his face. It was kind of like on his side, on his face kind of thing. And the referee, I thought, you know, he waved it off a little bit prematurely. I mean, there could be some... I might get some comeback for that, but I honestly thought initially that it was a little bit premature. I mean, he didn't even start the count. He just went, that's it, that's it. And, you know, as soon as the guy hit the floor, he bounced straight back up. And I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. It just it just seemed a little bit premature. It's almost, I don't know. I just think I'm thinking of all the stuff that, that Chris Eubank Sr. keeps saying. He keeps saying that... Um, you know, the referees need to be on their job, they need to watch, you know, because all that stuff about Nick Blackwell, so I was just hoping that he hadn't got inside the referee's head before the fight or something, and maybe that was why the referee was like, whoa, whoa, we better stop this now, that's what was kind of playing on my mind a little bit, Um, of course, people will know that I predicted last week, I said the Crawler Burns fight is definitely going the distance, and um, I said if it does, you know, if it ends inside the the, the distance, then I'm going to have to do the next few shows in Chris Eubank Senior's accent, I've actually escaped that, of course, because the fight ended up going the distance, some people not too happy with that on Twitter. <laughs> um, Ayaz, what did you see of this fight, by the way? The Avni Yield Room and Chris Eubank Jr. fight was a very good finish, that's what we can say for sure. Oh, I can tell. That was, I, let, I can say one thing. That was a very, very good finish, right? Now, let me tell you something, right? Chris Eubank Jr. has won this fight, yeah? And I think the reason why he wanted to knock this guy out so badly is because he wanted to make a statement in the in the tournament. Now, obviously, Callum Smith's through. George uh, George Groves is fighting um, Jamie Cox on Saturday, and the winner fights Chris Eubank Jr. Obviously, um, a lot of people are saying there. Uh, many people thought Chris Eubank Jr. will get to the semis, but to be honest, I'm telling you one thing now. Yeah, that knockout. What is Chris Eubank Jr.? He's got very hand speed, and the way he knocked that guy, it was very, it was very bad. The guy got up, but the referee stopped it, which I think, in my opinion, I think that was actually a good idea because that person was Yildirim was actually hurt. I was obviously Chris Eubank Jr. would have stopped him. Later on, probably. But, that, in my opinion, I think that was a good stoppage. Now, Chris Eubank Jr. has made a statement in the super, in the, in the super middleweight division um, in the, the tournament. And now he fights the winner of the Groves fight. I'll tell you one thing. He's an underdog. And I've got a feeling, if he fights Groves, he can actually beat Groves outpointing him with the speed and that. Well, I'll tell you something. That, that it's funny that you mentioned the underdog thing there, Ayaz. Because, actually... Um, you know, after Callum Smith's not very impressive win against Skogland, um, this impressive win here from Chris Eubank Jr. has now actually made him the favourite to win this tournament. So you were right. He started off as an underdog, but now he's actually the favourite to go on to win the whole thing. So what I will say is that I'm happy because, of course, we had four Brits in this tournament at Super Middleweight. And we will certainly have three going into the semi-finals because, of course, the two Brits that have took on foreign fighters, Chris Eubank and uh, Callum Smith, have both come through their tests. And on the weekend, we're going to have George Groves against Jamie Cox, as you mentioned there. And, of course, a Brit 
must win that fight because they're both Brits. So, um, yeah, that will, you know, that that means f- four, three of the four fighters that are in the the next round will be British fighters. So that's 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 good news for British fight fans. We will be speaking to Richard Schaefer, who's had a hell of a lot to do with the World Boxing Super Series. We'll be speaking to him just after the review part of the show is done, just before we end part one, we'll be speaking to him. So uh, that should be a decent interview. I'm looking forward to that. That's it from Germany, though. Moving over now to the Manchester Arena. Formerly the MEN Arena. Um, firstly, I was watching this bill as a boxing fan. I was I was just purely watching it for that reason. I said all along, this is not a good bill of boxing. The last two weeks, in my opinion, Sky haven't put on great shows. Um, you know, and I didn't really see anything special in this card. I'm going to move up the bill though. Marcus Morrison, fourteen and two, coming off two losses to Journeyman. To be completely honest, he took on Marius Baskupski, whose record was twenty-three and forty-five with two draws. Marcus Morrison picked up a TKO in round four. There, Conor Ben was also on the bill. Uh, he made light work of Nathan Clark, who was five and one with one draw. Conor Ben now nine and zero. Oh. There wasn't too much to talk about there. It was, uh, you know, quite predictable to be honest. But no, you know, good good job to get him done in the first round, I suppose. Hosea Burton nineteen and one took on Ratu Latianara. Now let me tell you about this. Isaac Chamberlain, who's a good friend of mine, told me a few weeks ago, or didn't just tell me, he told a load of people he's fighting a guy called Ratu Lateriana, okay? So, I was watching the fight, and Jose Burton come out to the ring, uh, obviously he was second in, but when they were talking about the, you know, the opponent's name, they said, yeah, this is Ratu Lateriana taking on Jose Burton, and I was thinking, hang on a minute, Isaac Chamberlain's fighting tomorrow, tomorrow now, obviously, but at the time, I was thinking, he's fighting next Friday. So, I text Isaac Chamberlain, I said, Isaac, you're supposed to be fighting this guy next week. He's in the ring against Jose Burton. He's just been knocked out in the first round. And he was actually at the York Hall show last week, uh, the Andrew Selby card. So Isaac Chamberlain texts me back saying, you're joking. And I said, yeah, they've, you know, <laughs> Jose Burton stole your opponent. He's actually, you know, he was actually a cruiserweight as well, an unbeaten cruiserweight, 5-0 and going in. And Jose Burton actually put on a few extra pounds to make the cruiserweight limit to fight the guy. So Isaac Chamberlain had no idea it was happening. So he just said to me, wow, well, obviously I won't be fighting him then. So I think that was a bit out of order, you know what I mean? Like, Eddie Hearn could have let him know, I suppose. But, you know, the fight itself, obviously, Jose Burton now moves to 20 wins. He's got the one loss to Frank Buglioni. It was a TKO in round one against Ratu Latiranara. So, um, yeah, you know, impressive stuff from him, I suppose. But yeah, it was it was it was bizarre. It was really bizarre. Also on the bill, Gavin McDonald picked up a first round knockout against Joseph Ajtai, nineteen and eight. His record now nineteen and nine. Um, you know that was quite a decent win there because Gavin McDonald is not known as the biggest power puncher, but this guy Ajtai has been put out in the first round by a couple of big punchers, and Gavin McDonald done it just as quick as those guys. So good luck to him. His record now eighteen and one with two draws. Friend of the show, of course. Um, Scott Cardle, twenty one and one with one draw took on Lee Connolly it was a six round fight Lee Connolly seven and 27 with three draws um obviously Scott Cardle you know he was trying to kind of 
you know, put on a bit of a show. I suppose he was, he looked pretty good, to be honest. He, he looked like he had his mind focused properly and he, you know, he put on a decent showing. He's not the most, I don't think he's got the most fan friendly style. He is a little bit boring at times, but, you know, he gets the job done, most importantly, most of the time anyway. But the man who beat him for the British title was also on this bill. Robbie Barrett, 15 and 2, with one draw going in against Lewis Ritson. Lewis Ritson, 12 and 0, a little bit of an unknown quantity. Um, we didn't really know what was going to happen here. This was actually a decent fight. Barrett was down once in the second round, twice in the sixth round, and once in the seventh round before his corner threw in the towel. I actually missed the the seventh round. I was actually watching uh, one of the other cards, so I missed the knockout itself. But, you know, that's a big, big statement there from Lewis Ritson. And now I know that um, Scott Cardle obviously wants to win his belt back. So he wants to fight the winner of that fight. And obviously Lewis Ritson won it. So that would be a really good fight. Lewis Ritson now 13-0. and 0. If he defends his belt against Scott Cardle, that could be a really, really good fight. I, I, you know, I expect that to happen. And also the bizarre thing, Lewis Ritson had no promoter going into this show. And just a couple of days later, just after the... Uh, after the win, I think it might have been on Monday morning or something like that. Matchroom straight away has signed Lewis Ritson. So expect him to be in the ring with Scott Cardle soon. Uh, very, very sad for Robbie Barrett, though, and Steffi Ball and his team. Robbie Barrett now 15-3 and three with one draw. Very unlucky to him. Commiserations there. And also commiserations to another man that fought on this bill. Sam the Savage Eggington, 21-3, and three, defending his EBU welterweight title against Mohamed Mamoun. Mohamed Mamoun, 18-2 of the two losses. He hadn't been stopped. I, as I remember last week, that you predicted um, Sam Eggington to knock him out. Um, I actually predicted him to you know, to, to, to win on points. And our listeners also went with Sam Eggington to win by knockout. So, you know, in a way, I was a little bit closer to it because it did go points. I didn't see a knockout, but still, we were all wrong because Mohamed Mamoun pulled off the upset and it was a clear win for Mohamed Mamoun, in my honest opinion. But unbelievably, it went down as a split decision. One judge gave it to Eggington. I thought that was absolutely shocking. You know, I had some sort of bet going on. I can't remember what it was now, but there was a few fighters that I picked to win, and Sam Eggington was one of them. And as soon as I saw, you know, the start he had to the fight, it was a really bad start. I actually put one pound on on Mohamed Mamoun to win, and he was like something like six to one um, after two rounds, and he'd won both those two rounds, and he was looking really good. So I won like you know, like like only seven pound all in all. That's including my pound back. But no, that was that was quite lucrative there. I thought that was a real a real strange set of odds, really, at the at the point of the fight there. Um, talking about the main event now, Anthony Crawler, thirty-one and six with three draws, took on Ricky Burns, forty-one and six with one draw. This was another fight that we all predicted. Of course, I, as being you, went with Ricky Burns to win on points, but our listeners picked up the victory here. They rightly went with Crawler to win on points. That was what happened. Um, you know, there was no surprises for me in the fight. It was all it was all being talked up as some sort of real war. It was going to be like flipping Hagler Hearns. It was going to be some sort of you know epic war, cannot miss, and all that stuff. Fight of the year. And I said all along, these two guys are way past their prime. Anybody that listened to this podcast last week knows exactly how I felt about this card. This was not a great card at all. It was never going to be a great fight. Both men are absolutely washed up. And what this fight actually showed me, 
was that Ricky Burns needs to retire, okay? And I said that on Twitter. I said, you know, he, he really needs to retire. Now, this is getting a bit embarrassing. He's really tarnishing his legacy, it almost seems. And somebody said to me, well, you know, he needs to carry on fighting because he's, he's you know, he's been he's been screwed out of, out, of, out of a lot of his money promotionally, of, of course, with the stuff he had with Frank Warren. You know, we don't know the ins and outs of that, but we know he was in a bit of a bad place financially. Um... So I, I don't really know. He's in a bit of a, you know, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place, really, because I'm not quite sure what he's going to do from here. I know he wants a rematch. That's really the only option he's got, you know. Um, Eddie Hearn was mentioning that Ricky Burns is a name that is always being asked to come over to America because he's got such a big name, apparently. And, you know, he would go over there and he'd just lose over there. So he's got to really pick his next few fights wisely. I definitely wouldn't want to see him in with a big punch or somebody who's as fresh as Josh Taylor. I think Josh Taylor would knock him out. Um... I don't want to see Ricky Burns get stopped. He's a really nice guy, but you know he's 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 really he's really you know he's getting a bit dangerous now. He's now forty nine fights into his career. He's definitely going to fight for the fiftieth time as well. Anthony Crawler, though, credit to him. You know he's 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 improved so much from those days when he got knocked out by Derry Matthews to to go on to what he's done here. And you can't take nothing away from him. He's beaten a free weight world champion here, and you got to give him credit for that. His record now thirty two and six with three draws. Ricky Burns now forty one and seven. His seventh loss, and of course he's got one draw also. But the fight itself wasn't really, you know, didn't really catch a light at all for me. I don't think Ricky Burns was nowhere near good enough. He just looked so shot. And, you know, it's getting sad because I like the guy. But that's that's all I really want to say on it, to be honest. Have you got any words to add to that one, Ayaz? Like, like, like you said as well, right? We touched up on this. I had Ricky Burns winning the fight. I said last week that, in my opinion, Ricky, if Ricky, that Ricky Burns would win the fight and that he would go on to face Josh Taylor. Now... Obviously, Crawler won that fight. Ricky Burns did land some good punches, but he wasn't doing enough in that fight. Crawler, Crawler is very good. Now, if Ricky Burns did win that fight, he would have fought Josh Taylor. I think I saw a tweet. Josh Taylor said, oh, wow, looks like the Ricky Burns fight is not happening no more after Ricky, after Ricky Burns lost that fight. Now, where does Crawler and Ricky Burns go from here? I got a feel. I have a feeling that this is what's going to happen. Uh, oh, Anthony Crawler will face Luke Campbell and Ricky Burns will have one or two more fights before he retires so if Crawler fights Luke Campbell that'll be the win uh, the winner of those two will go on to face for a world title and I've got a feeling that's uh, whoever wins that fight will become a world champion now Ricky Burns in my opinion like he's not he said he wants a rematch do I think the re- rematch is really going to happen personally I don't think that rematch is going to happen I think Ricky Burns he's a free world, world champion he's done very good in his past We've seen him fight the likes of Crawford, Indongo, Beltran. Um, there are other fighters he's fought, but I think he's he's had a, he's had a success, successful career. But I reckon, in my opinion, he's got two two or three fights left before he hangs up the gloves. Well, both men are definitely overachievers, but what I will say there, when when we actually talk about it, and you said it yourself there, Ayers, he's took on the likes of Indongo, Crawford, Beltran, all of those 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 names there that we mentioned are fights where, you know, he's lost them. Obviously, the Beltran fight was a draw, but there's no way in the world that, you know, he was very lucky to, to, to get a draw there. That was unbelievable. Um... 
you know, I think he's absolutely done. I said it last week, none of these guys are going to be winning a world title unless it's against somebody like Michele DiRocco. They're both finished. Um, you know, it pains me to say it because I like both guys. But no, I think, I honestly think that the best thing that could have happened financially, and I'm talking about from a promotional standpoint, and also a little bit of a, a little bit of a fighter's standpoint as well. If it was a draw, which it was pretty close, but if it was a draw, if it went down as a draw, a hundred percent they'd do the rematch. It couldn't have been a, a you know a worse fight next time round because this fight wasn't any good anyway. So they would have had to say it was so close, and then they had had a rematch. And then if one of them would have won, whoever it would be in the rematch, I think you know if Crawler won it or Ricky Burns would win it, then they'd do it for a third time. So they'd essentially get three big paydays out of out of the one fight, so to speak. But where it's gone down as a Crawler win. I honestly think the rematch will happen because both men are going to get beaten at world level, really and truly, you know? That's the way I see it. I don't think Ricky Burns is going to fight two other fights because he's going to lose. Whoever he fights, he's going to lose unless they're not world level. And he's not going to be getting a big payday with someone who's not world level, apart from Anthony Crawler, who, you know, look, I'm not being harsh on him. He, he's, he's, he's like fringe world level, you know? So... I think the rematch happens probably in Glasgow and I think Eddie Hearn will be having his fingers and toes crossed for a Ricky Burns win so they can do it a third time because there's no real danger, you know, when it's all like in-house fighting, you know, two guys that are promoted by Matchroom, it's a big payday. And I'm talking from a promotional standpoint there. So so I think that they're going to want to to have the rematch. It's probably a really good fight where where possibly Ricky Burns can win it in Glasgow, you know, come back a little bit stronger. And if he loses it, he's done. But at the same time, if he goes and fights somebody else and he loses, he's probably done there. So I think he should probably fight Crawler next. I don't think he's going to get a world title shot straight away off of a loss there. So I think his best option and almost his only option is going to be the Crawler rematch. And like I say, Crawler, he's got a few options, but I think he's going to lose pretty much every every big fight that he can be in, especially Luke Campbell there. I think Luke Campbell would absolutely blitz him going on Luke Campbell's recent performance, albeit it was a loss, but it was to the superior, um, you know, and really skillful Linares. So I think for me that Crawler will have the rematch because he could possibly win, and it's another easy win at this point of Ricky Burns' career, as sad as it is to say. But that's it from Manchester. Moving over now to the York Hall, Bethnal Green, the mecca of boxing. I'm actually going to be there tomorrow night, but um, this was obviously last weekend. Um, on the bill, Chris Congo, the prospect, he moved to 6-0 and with a TKO in round one against his opponent, Bronislav Kubin, whose record was 20-23 and with two draws. Now 20-24 and with two draws. Also on the bill, Chantel Cameron moved to 3-0 with a TKO in round one against Bilitis Goucher. Uh, she was a little bit of a journey woman, but, um, you know, all the very best there to Chantel Cameron. Also on the bill, Asinia Byfield, you know, a guy that really impressed me with his win over Sammy McNess. He stepped in the ring against Gabor Gorbix, whose record was 23-8, and eight, now 23-9. and nine. Asinia Byfield picked up the TKO in round five. Um, he's looking really good at 154, by the way. Senior uh, Byfield now 14-1 and one inside 15 fights. Um, also on this bill, let me just have a look. Robin Dupree, 12-0, and 0, took on Luke the Duke Watkins, 11-0. Now, this one was for the vacant Commonwealth Cruiserweight title. Robin Dupree is very, very skilled. 
Okay, his skills, his skill set was giving Luke Watkins a lot of problems. And I was a little bit surprised by that. I was a little bit um, disappointed in Luke Watkins, you know, in the early part of the fight. But I think he was a little bit disappointed in himself as well. But Robin Dupree was well out of shape. But the little skills that he was doing, some of the feints, some of the movement, it was actually really good. And, you know, he 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 was really winning the early part of that fight until he just ran out of steam. I think that was probably something to do with the big gut he was carrying around. And in the sixth round, Luke Watkins recorded a TKO, but he was down in the third round, Dupree, as well. So he did, you know, he did good to get up and, and really survive to the sixth round because he was done after about three, four rounds. So credit to Luke the Duke Watkins. It's not a, a sprint, of course. It's a marathon, these 12-round fights. And Luke the Duke Watkins is now 12-0 and and he's the cruiserweight Commonwealth champion. And I know that Isaac Chamberlain was sitting there ringside, so he'll be he'll be licking his lips to, for that fight for sure. Um, also on the bill, Andrew Selby. He topped the bill, of course, against Maximino Flores. This fight was shown on Channel 5. Maximino Flores, the tough Mexican, very tough guy actually 23 and 3 going in with one draw, he's now 23 and 4 with one draw, Andrew Selby now double figures 10 and 0, of course we had Selby on a few weeks before the fight but for me, Selby I love watching Andrew Selby, I think he brings a hell of a lot of excitement to the flyweight division, I think that, you know, he's been in back to back good fights and it's very, you know, we're a bit you know, as boxing fans, some of these lower weights, they're a bit I don't want to say boring because they're very, very active. But, you know, there's no real big names down there. And, you know, some people don't like to watch it. And I myself, I'm not really a massive fan of flyweights or super flyweights or, or stuff like that. Even bantamweights, I'm not I'm not really big on that. But what I will say is Andrew Selby always makes his fights very interesting. Whether it be with his dazzling um, hand speed, the, the, the sensational footwork. He's got some of the best feet in boxing. Just watching his feet. I love just watching his feet. He's amazing. Um, I'm a little bit of a fanboy of Selby. I really do like him, but no, just you know the showboating he does. He's he's absolutely brilliant. One thing that 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 struck out to me though is that I don't know if anybody listening might have might have seen this as well, but it seemed that Andrew Selby between some of the rounds, he just seemed like his head wasn't in there, and they had to like his corner had to kind of literally physically grab his head and spin it back round, like look it, look at me, you know. So. um I don't know what that was about. He seemed like he's he was going for a bit of a walk mentally between those rounds, which was a bit weird. And then he'd come out and fight fight his backside off, really, and then go back to the corner, and he'd kind of be in la-la land a bit. It was really weird. But, you know, the other guy was tough as hell as well. The other guy came to fight, and he, he was showed, showboating himself as well. But Andrew Selby was brilliant. But a few times, he was just putting his gloves down and taking flush punches straight on the chin. Because remember, this guy was supposed to be a bit of a big puncher. And I remember asking Selby, will you knock this guy out? And Selby, just the way he reacted to me when I asked the question, he did actually say, like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at a points win. And I just knew he was he was gonna try and you know dance his way to the twelfth round victory, which he did. It was a unanimous decision win over twelve rounds, and um, he looked very good doing it. The scorecards were a tad wide, I think a couple of them, but definitely the rightful winner. But no, he's you know he's always very exciting. Sometimes he he kind of he worries you a bit because all the keeping of hands down and stuff like that. But he's just phenomenal. He really, really is. And I was really, really impressed. So I'm happy for him now. He's now, if I'm not mistaken, the mandatory to fight for the WBC flyweight title. Eyes, I know that you watch this fight as well. Anything to add before we wrap up the review? And this is the last fight. Um, Andrew Selber performed really, really good. Um, 
obviously his opponent was doing a lot of showboating, like putting his hand behind his back. Uh, the way he's punching is really funny. It's like he's like he's slapping you up. But um, great performance from Andrew Selby. He's in a tough division. Do I think he's going to win the world title? Absolutely. He's at the moment out of the amateurs that have recently turned pro. Andrew Selby's the best prospect, I reckon, in my opinion. He's he's getting there slowly. Um, he's improving every t- every time I see him. He's always improving, and I reckon he'll go on to win a world title. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, there's there's some sensational amateurs that have just turned over. You know, that, that one's up for debate. I mean, he's been a pro for quite a while now, Andrew Selby. I don't think he's been massively active, really. I remember seeing him fight um, back in the Westcroft Leisure Centre in, like, November 2015 or something. It was, like, his second or third fight. And, um, you know, he, you know he, was, he was really good then. But, no, it's, you know, I really like the Selbys. I really respect the Selbys. And do you know what? I've been in the dressing room right next to the Selbys before a fight. And they're very spiritual. They're very, um, you know, religious and, and, and God-believing people. I know that right before their fights, they all get in a big huddle with everybody that's in the changing room, even if they're not part of their team, even if it's another trainer and his fighter, even a journeyman. You know, they, they get everybody involved in a huddle and they all say a big team prayer before a fight. So, um, you know, credit to those guys. They're, they're really good people and I'm very pleased for Andrew Selby but what I will say some of these guys that that I don't want to knock Matram of course because look I like Matram I think they're brilliant you know they're probably doing the best things in boxing in the UK right now but some of their fighters for example Conor Ben let's not really compare Conor Ben to Andrew Selby because he had next to no amateur experience you know Conor Ben, especially compared to Andrew Selby, but some of Matram's fighters, they're on these big shows, they're getting all this exposure, whereas Andrew Selby's fighting on Channel 5 in York Hall, nobody even knows about it, but I tell you what, he's fighting the right kind of fights, okay, he's fighting what he's real learning fights, not the first round knockouts, he's going 12 rounds with these guys, in the fight before this one, he got dropped in the first round, he got up and won the fight, he is, in, you know, he's in real learning fights. If you want to see some real learning fights, if you want to, you know, choose opponents, if you're a matchmaker, look at some of Selby's fights. He is in real learning fights, you know, not these silly showcase looking amazing stuff. He's he's a guy that's really gone under the radar a little bit. And to a certain extent, even though he's the older brother between him and Lee Selby, he's kind of been in his shadow a little bit because Lee Selby's obviously been a pro for longer. And of course, he's a world champion, but he's done it all behind closed doors and I respect him so much for doing so but that's it from that one I'm now going to um, wrap up the review and that's, that's everything from last week it's now time to bring in a man who was the CEO of Golden Boy but has now got so much going on in his own uh, his own promotional career it's now time to welcome guest number one Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the world-renowned former CEO of Golden Boy Promotions, but more importantly, the current owner of Ringstar Sports Boxing Promoter, Richard Schaefer. Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Happy to be on. It's my pleasure, sir. So, Richard, I want to talk to you about the World Boxing Super Series tournaments. Just to let our listeners know, it's a fantastic format. We haven't seen anything like this since the Super 6 tournament, which seems like years ago now. How did it all happen? Unless I'm mistaken, aren't there quite a few different promoters involved? How does it all work, Richard? Well, it sort of like was the brainchild of a a group which uh, was instrumental in forming uh, the Champions League. Uh, so it's the same group of people behind it which came up with the idea and then they teamed up with 
the Sauerland brothers, and uh, then they approached me. And uh, it was, I like the idea. I like the idea about the tournament. Tournament generally in any sport, I think, elevate the sport. Boxing didn't really have the signature tournament. Uh, and the Super Six, you know, was a successful tournament. But what people complained about, it dragged out for too long. Uh, it was plagued by injuries as well. And so um, we wanted to address those things. And uh, I think we came up with the right format. It's a single elimination tournament, as exciting as it can be. Lots of money at stake. Uh, it brings out the best in the fighters because they know you win, you move on to other multi-million dollar purses and life-changing amounts. And if you lose, you go home. And the fans like it because it's very clear-cut. Uh, there is a beginning and an end to it. Uh, it all takes place within a period of eight months. Uh, transparent. It's, uh, it's, it's really uh, an amazing thing for boxing. And the two tournaments are obviously at two different weights. You've got cruiserweight and you've got the super middleweight, um, the super middleweight limit. Was that always going to be just those two weights there, or were you looking at other weights originally? Uh, there was at one point we were potentially looking at maybe featuring three weight classes, but um, I think you know for the first year uh, to do two years and uh, two weight classes, and for the second year I think we're going to be looking at two weight classes as well. That sort of like is the sweet spot for it, and. Um, and so that we can really build the brand and build the tournament and you know get the excitement level going and uh i think all that all that happened i think the two way classes we we picked uh, the, with the cruiser rates you had one of the most neglected weight classes in the sport and yet one of the most exciting ones uh we were able to attract all four world champions the four champions from all four sanctioning organizations plus uh the next four highest ranked guys so it is as strong as a, of a field as one can imagine uh, and so uh, that is fantastic and then at the 168 pound uh, at the at the super super middleweight uh, we got some very exciting names in there as well particularly uh, from the on the british on the british side as from british point of view as well uh, they're going to be some mouth-watering showdowns. I mean, there's one this weekend uh, in Liverpool. But then, you know, the one, if, if George Groves would win, we had Eubanks look spectacular a week ago. You're going to see in the semifinal George Groves against Chris Eubanks, which is in itself tournament or no tournament, uh, you know, one of the best fights you can make in this particular division. The fact that it's part of the tournament and that the winner will be moving on to the final makes it that much more exciting and frankly for the fighters as well you know i mean they're going to be paid record purses uh they're going to make millions and millions of pounds uh, more money than they could have ever made outside of the tournament so um you know it works for the fans and it works for the tv networks and it certainly and most importantly works for the fighters just to backtrack just there a second, Richard, the fight this weekend is happening in London. It's not Liverpool, by the way. Yeah, sorry, yes, in, in London, yes, of course, yes. 
And I just wanted to talk about there the the cruiserweight version. Um, from what I've seen, it's had the better feedback of the two tournaments. Obviously, that's because every major sanctioning body has got a champion in the cruiserweight version. The only world champion not in it, so to speak, is Dennis Lebedev. But still, the WBA regular champions in the tournament. I actually really like the super middleweight one, probably due to the British interest, having four Brits out of eight boxers in total, um, all British. Now, what jumps out to me is that the super middleweight weight tournament has only got one world champion that is George Groves, he's only held the title for a matter of months, he hasn't yet defended it, he will this weekend were other boxers at super middleweight contacted but turned it down if so can you name any well uh I mean, you have to sort of like look at the at the landscape of the super middleweights. I think it's a very valid question. James DeGale was not available because he was going through surgery, and uh, so so he couldn't. Whether even if he would have wanted to be in the tournament, he couldn't have been in the tournament because he is out because of the surgery. Um, uh, the DRL DRL uh, situation was such that uh, he lost his belt. And uh, the title became vacant, and uh, David Benavides, who fought for the title, um, he was, you know, it was a vacant title, so there was no no champion to be really be to, to invite any champion because there was no champion, and uh, David Benavides, who was invited to participate, he declined to participate because he didn't want to lose his opportunity. He was the number one in 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 place there to fight for the vacant title which he did and he won and so now he is the world champion so i can understand that you know for david benavides to go into the tournament uh, and then lose his opportunity to fight for the vacant title uh, and become the youngest world champion um ever uh you know is sort of like uh you know i, I can understand that why he turned it down uh, but the fact is, there was no WBC champion. The IBF champion, James DeGale, as I mentioned, was out. Uh, George Groves is the WBA champion. And the only other champion you have left is Gilberto Ramirez, the WBO champion. And Gilberto Ramirez, was, uh, his promoter, was contacted numerous times. And um, they decided that they did not want to be in the tournament because... You know, his promoter feels that Gilberto Ramirez is an important piece of the new deal he made with ESPN, meaning top rank in ESPN. And he did feel that uh, Gilberto Ramirez's future was better served to be appearing on ESPN. So that's basically the landscape. So it was a little bit a, a, a strange situation as it relates to the champions. And, uh, and I think with George Groves, uh, we certainly, I think George Groves and James DeGale are the two biggest names in the division. And we got one of them, uh, George Groves and James, as I said, we didn't get because he was injured. Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a valid point there. Um, we had David Benavidez on the show just, I think, a, c- a couple of days before his vacant world title win. And also, um, the man that was challenging for the title, Jesse Hart, I know he was challenging... Um, Mm-hmm. He was challenging Gilberto Ramirez. I think he he may have been contacted. I think he told me that. But yeah, moving on uh, to the next question. There's obviously been rumours regarding a winning prize. You said it yourself. There's some multi-million dollar paydays for, for you know for guys going through these rounds. Are you able to talk about the figures of what a fighter will uh, be paid if if he, if he ends up winning the tournament? 
I don't have the exact figures in front of me, but I can tell you it's millions of dollars uh, or pounds. Uh, and uh, for the one fighter who does go from the semifinal to the quarterfinal, from the quarterfinal to the semifinal to the final, basically doing these three fights, uh, it is uh, life-changing, uh, life-changing amounts, uh, which uh, uh, are uh, approaching, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, eight figures. So, um, so big, big, big numbers, big, big numbers, uh, really life-changing numbers, and. Uh, uh that's the whole idea i mean it it is the greatest it's named after the greatest muhammad ali it is from a from a concept and the format point of view without any question the greatest tournament so it's only fitting that it is from a price money point of view the greatest one as well and obviously over here itv pay-per-view have shown a few fights on their channel some of them have been free of charge but my understanding is that some fights will be shown on the channel um that you'd have to pay to watch um and obviously some are free to watch is there a maximum number of paid pay-per-views that you've that you know that you can't go over or is there a minimum amount that you've got to deliver how does that work no, basically, you know, you have certain fights. Obviously, the goal is to make as many fights available to the public without having to go into their into their wallet. That's really the concept of building up the brand, the World Boxing Super Series brand, the tournament brand, and bring it to uh, from a recognition point of level to the level like other tournaments have or other big sporting events have. And whether if it's Wimbledon or the Tour de France or uh, the the Champions League or uh, the FIFA World Cup or you know or here in the United States the basketball finals or the World Series in baseball which is taking place right now, I think the key is going to be to have to have the brand exposed to as many eyeballs as you can, and for that obviously one is well served to keep it off a pay-per-view platform because when you put something on a pay-per-view platform you minimize the number of people who see it but what you do on the other hand is you know you maximize the revenues so there has to be sort of like a balance and fight fans have to understand while the organizers will do whatever they can to keep it free to keep the vast majority of events free they might be you know uh, one here or one there uh, uh, which you know you have to put on pay-per-view in order to justify uh, all these big purses and income. I mean, you have to. If if this is going to be successful, there has to be a way that we can maximize the revenues as well on a global scale. And um, you know, so that will necessitate sometimes. And I hope it's going to be uh, rather the rarer occurrence that there's going to be sometimes a fight which is going to be on pay-per-view. And a question that I've been dying to ask you, actually, the fights that the UK fans, for example, have to pay to watch, is that the same for other nations or depending on who's fighting who would determine which countries may have to pay and which countries may have to watch it free? Because it would be very difficult planning a pay-per-view because, you know, this tournament's littered with 50-50 fights. It's very hard to know who's going to go through to face who. Yeah. 
Yes. Well, I mean, first of all, it's interesting to see. It's an interesting question, but you have to understand that the pay-per-view platform as such is really not available in too many countries. Uh, you have, obviously, in the UK, you have a pay-per-view uh, platform. Uh, you have, in the United States, you have a pay-per-view platform. Uh, there are a few other markets, like the Philippines, for example. They have a plat- pay-per-view platform. There are a handful of uh, of um, uh, Western European countries which are starting are starting to develop a pay-per-view platform, such as, for example, Italy. With it, with with, but but there are. It's really not the, the pay-per-view as such is really not available. It doesn't even exist in every market. So um, so that answers one of the questions. And the second one is, you know, sometimes let's say if I put. Um, when I was a golden boy and I put a, a, a big fight on on pay-per-view here in the U.S. and then in the U.K. it wasn't on pay-per-view. It was shown uh, it was shown on either Sky or on Box Nation without having to go to pay-per-view. And sometimes there is a pay-per-view in the United States and it becomes a pay-per-view in the U.K. as well. Like like most recently, uh, for example, uh, Canelo and uh, Golovkin or Mayweather and um, Mayweather and um, and 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 McGregor, <laughs> but but there were many examples before where fights which were paid, like including some of the Mayweather fights which I promoted going back to 2007, like for example Mayweather and Mosley or Mayweather and Cotto or um, uh, Mayweather and Maidana uh, one and two or Mayweather and Berto, uh, you know and you know all of those fights were pay-per-view fights in the United States, but in the UK they were not. You were able to watch them on Box Nation uh, or on Sky. I think it was mainly Box Nation without having to go to pay-per-view. So, so, so as a as a as a as a fan, and first and foremost, I'm a fan. I, 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 I want to do as few as possible pay-per-views because I really think if you want to build the sport and you want to keep the sport growing. You cannot keep on going into people's pocket, and I think that's something I'm actually a little bit afraid of now. What's going on in the UK? Uh, you have all these uh, pay-per-views happening now, and I think there are just too many pay-per-views. And at one point, you're going to really, I think, hurt the sport and upset the public if you have too many pay-per-views. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, you know, not to not to go into a whole another. Uh, you know, a whole nother discussion, but obviously we saw that. So it would seem with the Mayweather McGregor impacting the, the you know, the Canelo versus Golovkin buys. You'd imagine uh, that did some kind of damage to that. Now, obviously, it took a long time watching from the outside. It took a long time for a U.S. broadcaster to be nailed down for the tournament. Has a deal been reached yet? I'm not quite sure. Yes. So what we did is. Um... You know, we we made a deal for the quarterfinals only with a, a network which is uh, owned by AT and T. AT and T is uh, definitely one of the uh, uh, one of the giants, uh, one of the absolute blue chip companies in the world, one of the biggest companies in the world, and they have a very vast portfolio of companies which they own uh, one of them is direct tv which is one of the principal pay-per-view distributors here in the united states uh, one of the m- main systems uh, uh, content providers as well uh, they are in over 20 million homes uh, and they have as well uh, millions more through their online and over-the-top platforms 
So we did enter into a deal with the audience network, which is part of AT&T, um, uh, uh, that DirecTV universe. Um, uh, we made a deal with them to televise here in the United States the quarterfinals. And once the quarterfinals are over and the semifinals are set, then uh, we will uh, immediately uh, jump on working on getting a deal done for the uh, semifinals uh, and for the finals. Yeah, because I've seen uh, you know a, a lot of boxing fans in the US kind of a little bit annoyed with their own networks for not picking it up a little bit sooner. Because you know every every true boxing fan is is deeply uh, embedded in this tournament. Now another thing I wanted to ask you, I wanted to ask you, Richard, the undercards of each event. Who has the final say on those? Basically, uh, the local promoters and the organizers are working on those. And what we really want to do is we want to give a little flavor of everything. We want to showcase some of the emerging young talent. Uh, we want to have some lo local talent on from whatever place the fight takes place. Uh, and then we, um, you know, we, we obviously have the, 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 the reserve fight on and then the main event. And so we want to really combine it a little bit, like in the case, for example, of the event I'm promoting uh, uh, in, uh, in a couple of weeks from New Jersey, from the Prudential Center on the 21st of October uh, with Murat Gassiev against um, against uh, uh, Vlodarczyk. Um, uh, you know, so you have a Polish guy against a Russian guy. There's a large Polish population in north, northern New Jersey. So what we did is we really put together the greatest, the, the three best Polish fighter fighters today, in my opinion, uh, with Matthias Masternak, uh, Christoph Lodarczyk, and the undefeated Maciel Sulecki, the super welterweight with 25 and 0. All Polish fighters, we're going to have them all showcased on that card. Um, and then the opponents, one comes from New York, obviously Gossiev is from Russia, and uh, with Zulecki we have him fight Jack Kulke uh, from Germany, uh, which should be a hell of a fight. And so, and then we have a local a local kid on there, and we have some of the uh, of the Olympians on from from Rio, which I signed to Ringstar. Uh, so you have you have a little bit of everything, so that that if you're a boxing fan, you're going to be able to see a world title fight, but you're going to see as well some of the best young and upcoming fighters, and that's the idea to really. The idea of the tournament is to be a showcase for the sport, and the entire card is sort of like fittingly working towards being that kind of showcase, to really showcase the sport. Yeah, congratulations on putting that card together, because I didn't actually know the full extent of that card, but that sounds like something I'm certainly going to be watching. Now, of course, we really hope this doesn't happen, but providing a fighter got injured, like you say, um, you know, it plagued the Super 6 tournament, what would actually happen in that scenario, Richard? Great question, and I think that was that was the, exactly the issue with the Super Six. You know, you have an injury sometimes shortly before a fight happens, and then the whole card had to be cancelled, and then it postpones and prolongs the entire tournament, and it be just it becomes a nightmare for the fans to follow. So here, um, since the people behind this tournament, the principal organizers are TV people, TV people which have a tremendous, you have, you have either. Uh, uh, you know, work within the TV industry or have a, have worked and know the TV market very well. They wanted to exactly avoid that. No matter what, the famous "the show must go on" 
is exactly what this is. There will always be on that date will be a fight, and it will be a, a, a tie, it will be a fight, a tournament fight, no matter what. So what that required is for the organizers, for us to sign as well, besides the eight participating fighters in the tournament, to sign um, so-called reserve fighters, which uh, uh, obviously fulfill the qualifications to be among the best in the world, uh, so that if one of the fighters would get injured, um, that they could immediately move up. I mean, you, you saw that when Carl Frampton was supposed to fight, and sometimes these injuries can happen like after the weigh-in, like I just started to tell you about Carl Frampton, who was supposed to fight Jaguar Gutierrez. After the weigh-in, Gutierrez slipped in the shower and had multiple cuts, and the fight was off, and there was nothing you could do. But that will not happen here because uh, the support fighters, the reserve fighters, are ready to step in to go back to the October 21st card I mentioned to you, Murat and, and Vlodarczyk, underneath is Matthews Masternak, who is a cruiserweight with a record of 39 wins and four losses. He's one of the top-ranked guys in the world, and he is fighting a, a an American uh, with a record of 16-1, and one, uh, Stevens Bujai, uh, and he is one of the top guys. So if, let's say now, Gassiev or Vlodarczyk would have to pull out because of injury, uh, then one of those two guys, most likely Masternak, would move in, since he's the higher-ranked guy than Bujai, and he would move into the slot to replace Lodarczyk, and then it would be Gassiev against Masternak. Or the same if Gassiev, Gassiev gets injured, it would be Masternak against Lodarczyk. So that's just the way it is. So what would happen in the scenario that a, you know, a fighter got injured and then a reserve fighter had to take his place and then let's say the reserve fighter ended up beating the guy. Is he now, you know, as he completely took the injured guy's space now, is he proceeding to the yes, next round? Yes, exactly. No, you're, okay. you, if, you're in, if you're injured, you're out. You're, if okay. you're injured, you're out of the tournament and uh, the replacement becomes part of the tournament and assumes all the benefits and risks associated with it, meaning the benefits if he beats the guy, he moves on to the next round, and if he loses, he's out. And of course, as you said, there these people that are, you know the eight guys being put in these tournaments, they're being paid uh, very generously. Well, um, these guys that are reserves, are they? being paid just for signing up or are they kind of being planned to fight on the undercards anyway so they're ready for that date if an injury did come up well they are getting paid as fighting on the undercard uh, obviously they're not making as much money as the ones who are in the tournament but they do get paid more than they could pay get paid anywhere else uh, so they are being uh, very generously compensated as well to be on in that reserve position uh, in return the fact that they get paid over the market for being a a chief support bout um, they had to agree or they have to agree that if so required they would be ready willing and able to step into the tournament into becoming one of those eight if one of those eight gets injured or once you are at the semifinals it's the same one of the four semifinalists gets injured, you know, it's not like you get injured, you're out, and you'll be replaced. And another situation that, of course, we wouldn't want to happen, but I've got to, I've got to tell you about this. Over here, a lot of people, um, you know, you're either 
with Chris Eubank Jr., you either love him or you hate him. He's that kind of he's that kind of fighter. And you know, obviously, he won his fight on the past weekend. He's now through to the next round. A lot of people, and it's just rumors, but a lot of people say he will not fight George Groves. He's gonna he's gonna pull out of this fight somehow. And it may seem very bizarre, but obviously, over here, every promoter that's worked with him, they they keep saying he's a real nightmare to deal with. How hard has it been to deal with him? And contractually, could he actually? Pull Pull out, and what would happen if that did? Well, happen? first of all, he has been nothing but a pleasure to deal with, and so has been his father. And you know, I know he reminds me in many ways, and frankly, his father too. I have to add about another another person who rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, and yet became one of the biggest, uh, or actually became the single biggest star boxing has ever seen, and that is Floyd Money Mayweather. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people who don't like him. There's a lot of people who like him. Uh, and it's these kind of personalities who are able to evoke emotions in people. It's those kind of people who, these, these kind of athletes, and not just boxers, but it's these kind of athletes who really know how to separate themselves from the, from the rest. And that has, and Chris Eubank, the son, and, you know, uh, very cleverly with the support of Chris Eubank Sr., they have really been able to do that. So I'm actually a big fan of the Eubanks, not only the way he fights. I think he's a terrific fighter, very skilled, very talented. You know, it's and it's not easy, by the way, for a junior to get to step outside, out of the shadow of, uh, uh, of a highly successful father who has been one of the all-time greats in boxing um, worldwide, let alone in the UK, to step, to sort of like be in the shadow of that and try to try to craft your own your own personality and your own career and so on you know it's not easy and i have to give it to junior that he's done i think a terrific terrific job i mean i was listening to the interview he gave uh following the fight <coughs> uh last uh, saturday uh, against the turkish guy and these were very well well chosen words i think he came across uh, very good. I think he 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 is a, he's an asset to the sport, and uh, uh, I, I'm I'm a big fan of his. And as it relates to you know when you, when you are successful and when you do evoke this emotion, automatically you create a lot of haters, and um, they like to see you fail or they like to spread false rumors and so on. The fact is, Chris Eubank Jr. has signed on to be in the tournament. There is a tournament contract. This is not for one fight. If you win, you move on. Uh, there's certain obligations attached with that. And there's obviously compensation attached to that as well. And the fact is, the monies which can be made uh, for these tournament fighters are substantially more than any other fighter can make, uh, period, uh, in this particular weight class. Um, you know, you're talking about millions of pounds. I mean, you're talking about millions of pounds. And now, why why would you want to walk away from that? I mean, Groves and Eubanks, you heard it from Eubank himself. It's a fight people really wanted to see. I don't think Eubanks is going to want to cheat his fans or the public, and most importantly, himself, out of this chance to prove the world that he is the best. And, you know, George Groves is the kind of guy who is always ready, willing, and able to fight. And 
and and you know faces these challenges head on and you know i don't know who's going to win that fight i mean i'm i'm a big eubanks fan but i'm a big george groves fan as well i've known george for a long time and uh, we're friends and you know i mean sometimes in big fights george groves you know jokes a bit you know let's face it and i don't know how that play, fight is going to play out is Groves going to win is Eubanks going to win the fact is it would be and it will be a fascinating fight both fighters are going to make career high paydays so why the hell would they want to walk away from that to go and do what yeah, and the make... sport of boxing and by the way the sport of boxing today is such that if you if you win in a boring fight you actually not a winner but if you lose in an exciting fight, you are a winner. I think fight, fight fans in the sport and particularly uh, networks, TV networks today, they will support somebody who loses if they lose in exciting fashion. And they don't want to see boring fights. Even if you keep winning, if it's a boring fight, the, the fans at home don't want to see it. And the fights in the people in the arena don't want to see it. And I could give you a list of some UK fighters which are champions or, or close to champions, which are boring. And I could give you certainly a list of American fighters which fit the same category. And people don't want to see that. So I think you look at the Eubanks and Groves fight. One thing, I, I don't know who's going to win, but one thing I do know, it will be a hell of a fight. I mean, a hell of a fight, because I think those two styles are made for each other. And also, yourself and David Hay have some kind of promotional partnership. Richard, how is that coming along? It's coming along very well. I've known David for a long time. I was there when he won his... Uh, uh, I, was, I was actually co-promoting with his own entity his fight when he became a heavyweight champion of the world in Nuremberg against uh, Nikolai Valuev. Uh, and uh, we've been friends ever since. And... Uh, uh, I saw him at one of the fights uh, some some uh, about a year ago or so, and we started talking about maybe doing something together. Uh, he was interested to get into the promotional side of things, and I was always interested uh, to do something in the UK. I've been always a huge fan of the of the UK fan base of the UK media as well, boxing media. And I mean, I just I think the UK fans are the best fans in the world. They're very passionate, and, and I, I love it. I feel it's like really my home away from home, London. And uh, I was always waiting for an opportunity. And as we were starting to talk, and uh, you know, we saw that we are exactly on the same on the same page. That what is important to him, what his goals are as a promoter, are exactly my goals and have always been, which is to empower the fighter try to maximize the revenues and the money for the fighter and uh, take on the status quo. Uh, just because something has ever been done a certain way doesn't mean it needs to be done like that forever. And, um, you know, so we have the same philosophy. And uh, we said, okay, let's go and try to identify some fighters uh, which we feel we can help to become the next big stars. And uh, we were very successful in uh, we were very happy to be able to sign the Olympic silver medalist, uh, Joe Joyce, who I think is today, um, you know, is, is turning pro in his first uh, fight uh, out of the O2 venue on um, 
uh, October the 20th. And so I feel uh, uh, I feel that uh, uh, with with him, it's really more than an amateur with Joe Joyce. I mean, he's not really your typical amateur. Uh, I think he's the kind of fighter who, after five, six fights, is going to be able to challenge for a world title. I think he's going to be moved very fast. Uh, he's uh, trained now uh, by uh, Salas, uh, who is one of the best trainers in the world from the famed Cuban boxing school. Uh, and uh, uh, he said that he has ne- never really seen a talent like Joe Joyce. Uh, so I think Joe Joyce is going to instill even more excitement in the already exciting heavyweight division, particularly in the UK. And then the other guy I have to say, which I'm extremely excited about, who was uh, actually uh, brought to my attention by one of the most legendary figures in the sport of boxing, uh, one of the certainly most legendary uh, uh, managers, Shelley Finkel, who, uh, among many others, uh, of course, was the manager and discovered uh, uh, Evander Holyfield and and, and uh, Mike Tyson as well and, and many, many other greats. He uh, talked to me about this fighter, this kid from Scotland, who is the most decorated uh, amateur in the history of Scottish boxing, irrespective of weight class, a junior uh, world champion, a young kid, uh, Braveheart, I call him, uh, uh, Willie Willie Braveheart Hutchinson, and so we have him under promo- our promotional banner, and he is one of those guys who really will transcend the sport. He can fight, but he's very funny. He's very charismatic as well. So um, these were our first two signings, and uh, I think we're on to uh, to some to, to some great things together. Yeah, I do want to ask you about the signings because, from my understanding, you've got your own company called Ringstar Sports. This is a joint thing. It's called Haymaker Ringstar. Which fires are signed? Haymaker Ringstar, Richard? Uh, well, you have Joe Choice, uh, you have um, uh, Willie Hutchinson, uh, you have a another fighter, like the Mayweather of um, the Mayweather of England. Uh, man, is this guy charismatic. Uh, and that's MVP, Michael Vernon Page, uh, who is a mixed martial artist as well, fighting under the Bellator banner. So he's one of those guys who's going to, one of those few guys actually is going to be switching back and forth. So very excited about uh, about him as well. And then there are going to be future signings coming. The fact is, David and me have been overwhelmed by the response of fighters who would like to join uh, our stable, um, young fighters, but, you know, more established fighters as well, like world champions, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, in the UK, you have you have really one guy who sort of like gets all the attention, and that is Anthony Joshua. And then there's a big gap between Anthony and the rest. And uh, you know many of these other fighters feel a bit neglected uh, as it relates to the way they have been or being promoted, and frankly the the way that the monies they make as well. Um, you know it's one thing to sell twenty thirty thousand tickets. But it's what does it translate to, um, money-wise? So, so I think that's why you know a lot of fighters are sort of like welcoming uh, David and me with open arms because they know David is a fighter and wants to look out for the fighters, and they know that I have always been very much pro fighter, and that uh, all the fighters I've promoted 
they not one of them has anything negative to say and um you know uh and and i empowered them and i made them record money and record purses and so uh, I have to say the, the reception among the fighters in the UK has been overwhelming. But we want to be, we want to be, you know, we don't want to overextend ourselves. Uh, we want to make sure that we have a, a TV partner. You know, we made a deal with UK TV, uh, which is going to be televising a certain number of fights per year. We want to make sure that we have a TV platform in place, which really will allow the fighters to showcase their talents to the widest, biggest possible audience. And I believe, by the way, with UK TV, that's the case. David led the way there when he had uh, some of his fights on there, on the channel Dave, and had like 3.8 million homes and people or people like watching his fights. I mean, like record numbers. Uh, and, you know, so I think we have the right partner, but we want to go slow. We don't want to, the biggest the biggest mistake some of these promoters make, they think they can go from from zero to 60, like, uh, you know, just by the turn of a, of a switch. And it just doesn't work like that. You've got to build towards it and not overextend yourself. And I think that's where my business acumen kicks in. And that's exactly what we're doing with Haymaker and Ringstar. And just the final couple questions now i'm just gonna throw them at you richard they're really just kind of quick fire questions really um tony yoker obviously a really talented heavyweight i think he he's maybe fighting this weekend or, or, the, or the weekend after um that's your fight that's just at ringstar sports right that's correct yes okay okay yeah he's a real he's a real talent i was i was quite surprised that he wasn't maybe on this bill though the the 20th of october bill because i know he's fighting maybe the day after or something Yes. Um, well, basically, uh, you know, I mean, he has a TV deal in place with Canal Plus in France. And so he's going to be fighting in Paris. Uh, and it's a significant TV deal. So it doesn't really make sense for him at this point in his career to have him fight in in England. But, you know, my idea is to eventually put together a big showcase for the heavyweights uh, beside Tony Yoka and Joe Choice. Uh, I was able to sign as well, probably the most exciting, certainly the biggest puncher from the Rio Olympics heavyweight, super heavyweight, and that is uh, uh, the Nigerian, the ni big Nigerian puncher who won as well the knockout of the Olympics. Uh, his name is Efe Ajakba um, from Nigeria. So I was able to sell, sign him as well to, to Ringstar here in the U.S. And so... Um, I'm thinking about doing sometimes next year maybe a heavyweight uh, uh, extravaganza uh, somewhere, whether if it's going to be in in uh, in uh, in Las Vegas or in Monaco or somewhere, you know, where we're going to put all these great next heavyweights on and showcase them. Yeah, that really would be something. And the, the, the last two, two, I think two, two or three questions now. Just uh, briefly, Richard, do you have any idea what went on with um, Kes Ashvak? I know he was supposed to have been signed with with, uh, with Haymakers. Uh, I'm not quite sure what's happened there. Do you, do you have any idea? I think, no, I don't really, because um, he was um, a fighter which was, I'm sure he's a, I met him, I only met him once at the press conference uh, uh, at the Haymaker Ringstar. Um, and he was a fighter which, uh, which uh, one of uh, David's uh, former um, uh, colleagues, uh, 
or advisors had conversations with uh, Mazab. So I, I haven't, I didn't, wasn't really involved in, in, in. So I don't really know what exactly happened, what didn't happen there, or, you know, uh, as I said, as I said, there was a, there wasn't, there is a huge number of fighters who would love to join. Uh, Haymaker Ringstar, like the same for me here in the U.S. I must have a list of over 250 fighters who would like to be promoted by me, and I have signed what 10 or 12. So I'm just very, very cautious and very careful. And when I go through this, um, um, you know, the process of who do I, in the end, sign to a Ringstar contract. And will you be looking to extend your stable? And if so, when should we expect to hear about any new signings from yourself or your company with David? Well, you know, I, I, uh, as it relates to our UK business with David or my French business or the US business, uh, the fact is we are open for business. Uh, and if the, uh, if the fighter with the right talent uh, inside of the ring uh, and with the right personality and charisma outside of the ring comes along, uh, we are certainly open to sign new fighters and expand the stable as these opportunities present themselves. Uh, I think I, may, I alluded to it before. Uh, for us, uh, it's, you know, we need fighters who understand that this is a sport, who understand that sport is entertainment as well. It falls within the entertainment category. So we want entertainers. We want ent- we want fighters who know how to entertain and get a crowd excited. Winning is important. Winning is not everything. Um, and uh, you know, so we want to have exciting fighters. We want fighters who have charisma and personality outside of the ring, who know who know how to keep themselves uh, relevant uh, in the public eye as well in between fights. And so you know, we're looking at these guys who are the total package. And there's a lot of fighters, but there are not too many who are the total package. And so we are going to be selective because the amount of time you use to promote somebody who doesn't have these qualifications compared to somebody who has these qualifications, the amount of money and time you invest in in these individuals is exactly the same. So why not do it for those where you know they have a goal to become not only a world champion or a star, but who really are driven as we are to build superstars. That's what we want to do. We want to build superstars. And a, a last question that I just slipped in for something that you uh, that you kind of briefly said earlier: um, the, the the potential of having a second uh, World Boxing Super Series tournament, perhaps at a different way. I was just really uh, just just wondering if you had any idea at this moment at all, that, or any kind of hint. Um, what kind of weight would you be looking at in the next the next uh, the next one? Well, you know, I think it probably, uh, uh, you know, we had some initial conversations. Uh, we haven't really, we haven't really had any in-depth conversations, uh, to tell you the truth. But, you know, what I think we would like to do is we would certainly like to focus on some of the lower weight classes as well. I mean, here with 168-pound super middleweight and the 200-pound the cruiser weights, you know, we've been focusing on the big boys. Um, and so I think it is only fair and only fitting that a future edition, that one would be looking at some of the lower weight classes as well. And, you know, again, you look at some of those lower weight classes, you see a lot of 
excitement, a lot of fires in there. Uh, you see a tremendous geographical diversification as well, which is important. I mean, you don't want to have fighters just from the U.S. or just from the U.K. You need to keep that global aspect. So we'll be looking at that, which weight, which one of the lower weight classes has fighters from the U.K., from Germany, from France, from the U.S., from Mexico, from Japan, from, you know, and on and on, the Philippines. And, uh, you know, as you go through these weight classes, actually a fight fan can do that exercise sort of like himself and see which one would be exciting weight classes for future edition of the World Boxing Super Series. And if um, your listeners or anybody has any suggestions, you know, um, let the fans, you know, we want to have the fans to be heard as well. And maybe the fans have some opinions and some suggestions on which way classes they would like to see featured. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't go too low, but I think 147 would be brilliant. 135 would be brilliant. 140 would be brilliant. All those kind of weights, I think, are, are, you know, are really good weights. I think you're wrong. I, I have to say I disagree with you. I think it would be unfair not to showcase some of those smaller weight classes. I mean, HBO recently did the night of boxing here with the super flyweights. Uh, and, uh, and, and you know, that was that was tremendously successful. And there are a lot of interesting, uh, interesting talent in there. And often those smaller fights, I have to tell you, are, are, are much more exciting uh, and action packed than some of the bigger weights or you know, I mean, so the, so the so the super flyweight, meaning the 115 pounders, you have a great geographical diversification there. Or what about maybe one of the best weight classes? Period. Period. What do you think about the featherweights? 126. You have Gary Russell, American champion. You have Leo Santa Cruz and Abner Mars, two Mexicans. You have Lee Selby, who is a Brit, and then you have Oscar Valdez, a Mexican. You have um, you have Frampton. Carl Frampton. You have Jojo Diaz. You have George Warrington. You have Scott Quigg. You have Christian Mirares. You have Jorge Lara. I mean, you look at you look at these names. It's mind blowing uh, and. And you know what? Again, it's a, it's a division with all those names I just mentioned. I don't really care who fights who because you just know it's a good fight. Those guys just know how to fight. And that was the same when we did the cruiserweights. When we saw that we had the chance to get Brady's and Dortikos and Gassiev and Yuzik, I said, we said, it doesn't really matter. Or then Dimitri Kudryashov, you know, the guy, the Russian hammer. We knew that we knew that, that that these are matchups. Doesn't matter who picks who at the gala in Monaco at the original draft gala. You know it's going to be fireworks, and that's exactly what happened. And by the way, that would happen at the 126 pound weight class as well. So there's a lot of those those considerations. But you know, you look at the 135 as well. The lightweight. You have an American with Easter. You have Terry Flanagan, a Brit. You have Jorge Linares from. South America from Venezuela you have Mikey Garcia the Mexican American you have even though he lost you have the Olympic gold medalist from the UK Luke Campbell um you know which was well he was in a great fight I think he did he did he did had a good showing you have the Puerto Rican Olympic Olympian Felix Verdejo I mean you look at you have the 
you have the Filipino Juan Martin Elorde, you have, you know, you have a lot of names there, which could make, uh, you have a French guy, Ivan Mendy, um, you have the Serbian guy, the big puncher, Dejan Slatichanin. Uh, I mean, you know, there, there is those weight classes, and to give these fighters the exposure they deserve, I think the World, World Boxing Super Series is really a blessing to the sport. I have to agree. I have to agree. I think those weights that you just mentioned there are phenomenal weights. It would be it'd be interesting. It doesn't really matter which weight, to be honest. The way the tournaments have been going so far, Richard, I'm not just saying it because you're here. They've been phenomenal. So, Richard, is there anything that you'd like to tell our listeners at all before we let you go? No, keep watching uh, and, you know, l- let us have your opinions as well about what weight classes you like and uh, just keep pushing for the World Boxing Super Series because uh, uh, I think for all of us and for me first and foremost as a fan, uh, this this is as good as it gets. Okay, listen, Richard, it's been an honor interviewing you. I wish you all the very best of luck with the World Boxing Super Series and also your very own Ringstar Sports outfit. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with us, and we'll catch up again very soon. Excellent. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you later. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. What I will just say, just before we embark on the news and the stuff like that, I actually forgot to say in in part one that... um, Obviously, last week, all the picks that we did do, I forgot to mention that our listeners went with Eubank to win on points, and me and you, I, as both went with Eubank to win by knockout. So, from last week, everybody's gained one point. So, we're all... We're all kind of, you know, at the same kind of things. It's me and I, as on the same... I think we're on... Um, what are we on, I, as? I think we're on... What are we on? I think we're on six. I think we're on six. Me and you are on six, and our listeners are on five, if I'm not mistaken. But it's definitely, there's there's only one point in it. So me and you on six, the listeners on five. And of course, this week, we will have four different opportunities to pick up points as well. So uh, yeah, that's, that's what we're going to do. Right, let's bring in Ayers with the latest news. Ayers, what you got for us? The WBO have made David Lemieux mandatory for Billy Joe Saunders' title. Yes, I've actually been saying this is going to be a really good fight for a long time. I've said I'd like to see this fight, and this is you know, certainly one that I'm really looking forward to. Hopefully it happens, hopefully it happens soon. I think he's, wasn't um, Billy Joe rumoured to be fighting in December or something like that, but then I've heard from Lemieux that you know, apparently they've offered Billy Joe to fight and he's asking for too much money. So hopefully it does end up happening. But um, yeah, you know, finally, we, we will hopefully anyway see Billy Joe in a, in a meaningful fight. We've been waiting for a long time. It's been really since the since the Andy Lee fight, since he won the title, which is, you know, almost, what's that, almost two years ago now. So yeah, you know, hopefully we see him in, in, in a good fight soon, of course. But is that is that all the news you got for us, Ayaz? Um, no, this is actually one last news and that, Puerto Rican legend Miguel Cotto uh, will have his final fight against Saddam Ali. Yes, Saddam Ali, a man that, um, you know, he suffered a shock loss. I can't really remember who it was to now off the top of my head without surfing his record. But, you know, this is this is a really weird fight. I wouldn't have imagined it, it would generate that much money. I don't think it's going to be like a pay-per-view fight, whereas really I think Cotto could have probably took on somebody else and it would have gone on pay-per-view. But... I don't think that's going to be a pay-per-view fight, but, well, I wouldn't be surprised, to be completely honest, but I just didn't think that that's a great cash-out fight, and not only that, but it's, it's it's a hard fight, so, 
you know, it, it really could be a banana skin. It could be, you know, he could lose this fight. So it's an interesting pick of opponent. But, uh, yeah, that's it's, it's a bit of a wild one. But, hey, this is boxing. If you didn't know, then uh, wild things happen every week. That's it for the news. Okay, that's thank you very much. Moving over now to the preview in later today, Thursday the twelfth of October, later today, in the 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 Sud de France Arena in Montpellier, France. One fight to mention on this bill really, even Mendy, thirty eight and four with one draw, the man that uh, that beat Luke Campbell. I was going to say the only man to beat Luke Campbell, but of course the other day Linares pulled off a great victory. He's taken on, by the way, Joseph Laria, whose record is 24-9. and So that's one fight to mention there for France. Moving over now to the roller world in Derby, Derbyshire, United Kingdom. Uh, there's couple fights to mention on this bill really not too much going on Jermaine Smile 14 and 6 with two draws takes on Adam Jones 6 and 25 with five draws listen Adam Jones is a tough 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 guy especially over four rounds this is this is a potential banana skin here for Jermaine Smile I'm actually going to be speaking to John Ryder coming up just shortly after this preview part and he shared the ring with Adam Jones I'm going to ask him about him um, also on this bill as well Jordan Gill's on the bill his record 17 and oh his opponent yet to be announced but yeah that's one to watch out for for the future that one is being brought to us by promoter Clifton Mitchell former pro himself of course also at the York Hall tomorrow night Bethnal Green London I will be there in attendance this one's going to be on Sky um, a couple fights to mention on the bill Isaac Chamberlain 8 and oh of course he was supposed to take on the guy that fought Jose Burton last week, but Isaac Chamberlain will now be taking on a man called Ossie Hervier or Ossie Jervier. I think he's got four wins in eight fights. All of his four wins have come by knockout, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, it's, it's a bit, it's a bit of a shame he's not taking on a five and zero undefeated cruiserweight. But it is what it is. That's it for that. Also on the bill, Felix Cash six and zero. His opponent yet to be announced. Ted Cheeseman ten and zero. His opponent yet to be announced. Craig Spider Richards, friend of the show, friend of mine, nine and zero. His opponent to be announced as well. Harlem Eubank as well. He's been signed by Matrim now. Uh, his fight to be announced as well. He's 1-0 at the moment. Also on the bill, Natasha Jonas, 2-0, takes on Karina Kapinska. That's a former opponent of Katie Taylor. So all the very best to Natasha Jonas. That's a, a six-round contest, six two-minute rounds. Uh, Jason Cunningham, 23-3, takes on Reese Bellotti, 10-0 for the Commonwealth featherweight title. All the very best to Reese Bellotti. I'm looking forward to that one. And also, I think top in the bill, Charlie Edwards, 10-1, um, I'm not quite sure what's going on here because he was supposed to be taking on Matthew Chanda 7-1 for the British Super Flyweight title. But I spoke to Charlie and apparently he's not taking on Matthew Chanda. And I think Charlie might have gave up the British title. So I'm not sure what's happening there. Um, I should have actually messaged him just before I did the show. But I'm not quite sure what's going on there. So um, that's been, um, you know... That's, that's being announced wrongly on lots of different boxing podcasts, so ignore that one. Um, 
that's my inside information there. Moving over now to America in the Fantasy Springs Casino, Indio, California, USA. A couple fights to mention over here. Fidel Maldonado Jr., 24-3 and three with one draw, puts his WBC Fekabox super lightweight title on the line against Ishmael Barroso, former opponent, of course, of Anthony Crawler. He's only lost, by the way, Barroso, coming to Anthony Crawler. His record 19-1 and one with two draws. Should be a good fight there. Should be a stern test for Maldonado Jr. Also, on the bill, Pablo Cesar Cano, 30-6 with one draw, takes on Marcelino Nicolas Lopez, 32-2 with one draw, that's a 10-rounder there, really not much going on. Moving back over to Paris now, or back over to France, I should say, I should say in Paris though, um, Tony Yoka, 1-0, takes on Jonathan Rice, 7-2 with one draw. Tony Yoka, I actually just realized now he's fighting this weekend. Of course, we spoke to his promoter earlier on in the show, Richard Schaefer. Also on this bill as well, Ahmed Al-Masue, who is... 26 and 3 with one draw. I've never heard of him. He's taking on uh, Carlos Molina, 28 and 7 with two draws. That's a 10 rounder there. All the very best to Carlos Molina. Now moving over to Germany in Bayern. Uh, one fight to mention on this bill Francesco Pianetta, 34 and 2 with one draw. I remember he got knocked out um, a long time ago now by Vladimir Klitschko for the heavyweight title. I remember that. This one's for the IBO international heavyweight title and getting in the ring in the other corner. Kevin Kingpin Johnson, 31-8 and eight with one draw. Of course, a man that we're very familiar with over here. Uh, that should be, I was going to say a decent fight. That's probably going to be an awful fight in all honesty. <laughs> Moving over now to the Robin Park Centre in Wigan, Lancashire, United Kingdom. This one is a Steve Wood show. Um, who's on this bill? Haroon Khan, 6-0. and oh, His opponent yet to be announced. That's really all that's going on over there in terms of big names. Moving over now to Wembley Arena. Get the predictions ready. Eyes on this one, of course. John Ryder 24 and 4 takes on Patrick Nielsen 29 and 1. That's a 10 rounder. There, we'll be speaking to John Ryder shortly. Uh, John Ryder, though, you know, a lot of people not knowing who Patrick Nielsen is. Patrick Nielsen's ranked by all of the top four sanctioning bodies and including a number one ranking with the WBA. This guy is no joke. His only loss was to Dmitry Chudinov, who Chris Eubank Jr., of course, beat that time. But that's about it for Patrick Nielsen. He's a good tall southpaw and uh, you know that's that's a very tough fight there for John Ryder we'll be speaking to him very shortly the main event for the WBA super world super middleweight title of course the 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 world boxing super series tournament this one the you know the quarterfinal of course two Brits facing off against each other we spoke to the man involved in all of it earlier on uh, he thought the card was happening in Liverpool it's actually happening in London I hope he hasn't booked the wrong flight there George Groves 26 and 3 takes on Jamie Cox the unknown quantity we've all heard the stories 24 and 0 Jamie Cox of course he's done a lot of hard work in the gym we all know he's given some world champions some real kittens in the gym but this is a 12 round contest against an on form George Groves how do we see it going that's a really hard fight to call because we don't know too much about Jamie in all honesty at 168 Um, as well I think this is a tough fight personally in my opinion and now the winner of that fight is Chris Eubank Jr um in my opinion, I think, personally, uh, George Groves is going to win the fight. He's going to win it by points. He's trained by Shane McGuigan, who I think is a very a fantastic coach. And I reckon a lot of people say George Groves has got the best jab in boxing. I'm not quite sure about that. But I do say, yeah, I do reckon George Groves will beat Jamie Cox and he'll be on points. 
Right, just to mention, our, our listeners have gone with Groves by knockout. That's their prediction. I'm actually going with what they've said as well. I'm going with Groves by knockout as well. So you're going with him on points there. Back to the fight, though. Um, you know, Groves has obviously got a fantastic jab. I'm not sure he's got the best jab in boxing, but he has got a really good jab. Um you know, it's just going to be interesting. These guys have known each other for over 10 years. They were, you know, they were amateurs together. I think they were even roommates at one point during, uh, you know, during one of the amateur tournaments or whatever. So these guys know each other really well. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's interesting. I mean, Jamie Cox is the much smaller guy, but, you know, you can't write him off. It's such a hard fight to call. But what I will say is that nobody is giving Jamie Cox a shadow of hope in this fight nobody is giving him a chance nobody is believing in him at all apart from himself and his team even Richard Schaefer earlier you know he's talking of, of course about the Eubank Jr. and George Gross fight that would be a brilliant fight but let's not ignore he's taking on Jamie Cox he's an unbeaten fighter here so it's going to be interesting I mean obviously Jamie Cox is a southpaw as well but we'll have to wait and see it's, 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 it's a tough fight to call but yeah if I had to pick you know, pick something, I'd go with Groves by knockout, but um, it's going to be interesting, I think uh, I might have to watch this one, it's, it's going to be really good, that's it for Wembley Arena, moving over now to the StubHub Centre, Carson, California, Abner Mares, 30-2 with one draw, takes on Andres Gutierrez, 35-1 and one with one draw, this one's for the WBA World Featherweight title, of course, Mares's title, this is the man that slipped in the shower against Carl Frampton, I didn't really know too much about him before that fight, the only thing I know about him now is that uh, if he slips in a shower, he absolutely breaks his face in two, so... Uh, Abnamares, I think, may be able to help open that face back up. I think it would be, uh, you know, it's quite a pointless fight, in my honest opinion. Abnamares was supposed to be taking on Leah Santa Cruz, and um, they're both fighting different people on the same bill, so I'm not quite sure what's going on there, but I think this is going to be a showcase win for Abnamares. Also on the bill, Leo Santa Cruz, 33-1 and with one draw, takes on Chris Avalos, 27-5. and Leo Santa Cruz defending his WBA Super World Featherweight title. Um... I think Leo Santa Cruz is going to win it pretty easy. I don't really rate Avalos too much. I'm not going to break nothing down. I think that pretty much is what it is. Um, also on the undercard, it's not a great undercard really. Ivan Redcatch, 20-3, one draw, takes on Raynell Williams, 12-0. I don't know too much about Williams, but this should be pretty decent. If Williams you know, is, is any good, he might even beat Redcatch actually. So yeah, Redcatch a tad bit overrated. He's been avoiding a few fighters, so I've heard. That's a 10-rounder there. Eddie Ramirez, 17-0, takes on Antonio DeMarco. So that should be quite good as well on the undercard. Antonio DeMarco, 32-6 with one draw. That's a 10-rounder. Moving over now to the Town Hall, coming back to the UK in Walsall, West Midlands, United Kingdom. A uh, couple fights to mention really on this undercard. Two former opponents, two former foes of Frank Buglioni. Ricky Summers, 13-1. His opponent, yet to be announced and also Andrew Robinson 19 and 3 with one draw his opponent yet to be announced as well uh, both big credit to those guys both tough guys both gave uh, Frank Buglioni a real good fight so credit to those guys that's why they get read out here and moving over now to the final bill of the previewing at the Barclays Center Brooklyn New York USA it's the best card of the weekend hands down I'm going to start with the undercard Justin Hurd that's the brother of Jarrett Hurd he's 3-0 he takes on a man called Steven Andrade who's 3 and 2 and also I don't think this Stephen Andrade's got anything to do with Andrade um, you know Demetrius Andrade who's fighting next week but that is what it is there 
Um, also on this bill, Cindy Serrano, 26 and 5 with three draws. She takes on Adina Kiss, who's 14 and 5. That should be quite good. That's an eight rounder there, eight two minute rounds. Tony Harrison, 24 and 2, takes on Paul Venezuela Jr., 20 and 5. That's a 10 rounder there. Tony Harrison, of course, came up short against Jarrett Hurd for the vacant title. And of course, on the bill, Jarrett Hurd, 20 and 0, defending his IBF World Super Welterweight title against Austin Trout. 30 and 3. Really good fight this. We had Austin Trout on the show a few weeks back. This fight's been pushed back a few times. I think it's been delayed or postponed quite a few times. It's finally happening on Saturday. This bill's brilliant because really and truly this bill should be called the best of 154 because three world titles are on the line here and four if you're including the IBO title but we'll get to those other fights firstly as Jarrett Hurd against Austin Trout we know Austin Trout's the tricky veteran but of course he's the older guy he's got more miles on the clock he's been in the tougher fights Jarrett Hurd perfect 20 and oh he's got a bit of a dig on him as well and he's got a good engine we saw that in the Tony Harrison fight how do you see this one going we've also asked our listeners as well so I'm going to get their prediction how do you see that one going? To be honest, I haven't really seen much of Jarrett Heard. I've seen I've seen more of Austin Trout. I yes, reckon so. Austin Trout's a very good fighter. I'm not quite sure about Jarrett Heard. I'm not quite sure really because this is a 50-50 fight. And if I'm going to choose a winner, I'll probably choose Austin Trout. By, by knockout or by points? Points. Yeah, I'm going to go with Trout on points as well. But our listeners have gone with Heard by knockout. And they might know something we don't. But no, Heard's looking really good, actually. So maybe if you'd have seen a little bit more of Heard, you'd have probably gone with him to win. But I'm actually going to go with Trout on points. Our listeners go with Heard by knockout. You've gone with Trout on points. Also on this spectacular bill of boxing. Um, on the undercard, we also have... Jamel Charlo, 29-0, and 0, taking on the, well, the, the unbeaten Ericsson Lubin, 18-0. and 0. This one's for the WBC World Super Welterweight title. Ericsson Lubin, a little bit unknown, I suppose, but he's looking really, really good. Of course, he digs into the body really well as well. And Jamel Charlo, you know, he's... Some saying he's a little bit tight of the weight. We're not quite sure, but of course he can crack. He's a great boxer. He's tall, and you know he's 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 just one half of that sensational, you know, the Charlo twins banner. He is a great fighter, Jamel Charlo. Um, our listeners, by the way, have actually said that they believe Jamel Charlo is going to win this fight by knockout. Sixty-nine percent of our voters have gone with that. How do you see this one, as Erickson Lubin against Jamel Charlo? Oh, I'm going to have to go with Jamel Charlo because I think he's brilliant fight I've seen his he's had some brilliant knockout and obviously he's, um, he's trained by the same trainer as Errol Spence Jr and I reckon Charlo's going to go Charlo's going to win by a knockout I'm actually going with the upset here I'm actually going with Lubin to win on points so that may come back to bite me but um, I'm going with the upset there I quite like the look of Lubin he's you know from what I've heard he's, he's really really good as well been impressing people in the gym uh, and the final fight to mention of the whole preview part of the show Eris Landy Lara 24-2 and two with two draws puts his IBO World Super Welterweight title on the line and of course his WBA Super World Super Welterweight title on the line against Terrell Goulshay Terrell Goulshay share man that we had on the show a few weeks ago he's 20 and oh good olympian and all that good amateur but yeah of course he's in against eris landy lara arguably the, the you know the best fighter at 154 how do you see that one going ayas i think eris landy lara's gonna win i think he's a very skillful boxer when he fought canelo a lot of people thought lara won that fight i reckon i reckon canelo won that fight but i'm gonna go for a lara win yeah i i think canelo won that fight but you know spencer fearon spencer fearon thinks that 
Lara won that fight. He was like, you know, he was telling me like, you're crazy, you're crazy if you think that Canelo won that fight. But I actually think he did win. But no, he he certainly went with Lara. But on this actual one, I think we're gonna we're gonna call this fight void because I've noticed that 44% of our voters went with Lara by knockout, and another 44% went with Lara on points. So one thing is for sure, our listeners are going with Lara to win the fight, but I can't actually. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if they if they're going with the knockout or the points. So it's it's both the same thing. And me and you would both go with Lara to win. So if we just all go for Lara to win, there's no real point. It's, it's you know we're all going with the same thing. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna clear that one. So there is still three points up for grabs this weekend. That's of course the Lubin and Charlo fight, the Groves and Cox fight, and the Hurd and Trout fight. So. It will be interesting. Very good luck to our listeners. Very good luck to myself and I, and we'll see who's who's in front this time next week. But that's really it for the preview. And of course, there's one last thing to do before we end part two. That's to bring in guest number two, a man that's in a really tough fight this weekend. Of course, it's now time to welcome guest number two. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the three-time British title challenger. It's the gorilla, Mr. John Ryder. John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me back again. Still not British champion, but still trying. Hey, there's there's obviously other opportunities out there for you, John. Now, every time you're on, I like to ask you where you are. Last time uh, we spoke, you were just plainly in Islington. The time before that, you were in Portugal. Where are you now, John? Um, just plainly in Islington again. <laughs> in my bedroom, on my bed, waiting to watch our girl. Lovely, lovely. <laughs> Right, so John, when we last spoke, it was in the build-up to the the last fight, the the Rocky Fielding fight. I wanted to quickly get one question in about that fight. Obviously, going in, you were the underdog. It was a stiff test at 168, and yet again, it was a fight that you lost by the narrowest of margins. Obviously, um, you know, you've had a bit of bad luck with some decisions lately, really, John, in my honest opinion. What did you take from that fight, though? Do you know what? I, I took a, a lot of it. I mean... It, it was my first fight against a real 168 fire, real super middleweight. Um, the fight with Eches was both kind of in weight, so it was a bit of a, a hard marker. But, I mean, I feel like I, I take, took the best of rookie shots and returned some good shots. I didn't, I didn't go in at one point, but just just, just didn't finish the job. But it's one of those things. It's, um, it, it was on a way, a way soil, pretty much, but... It, it was a good fight. I mean, I, I didn't get hurt. I, I didn't come out victorious. I felt I possibly should have, but um, just one of the things, I'm here. I'm still not a British champion, but I'm here to fight in another big fight now, which could propel me back up the rankings again. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Just talking on Rocky, he uh, he looked amazing the other day, didn't he? He did. He looked great. I mean, I, I did think there would be improvements under Jamie Moore. But um, new fresh ideas, but yeah, no, he seems to, he seems to really. I mean, didn't take long to implement them at all. As it comes straight out and bang. Yeah, absolutely. It was a it was a quick finish. Impressive stuff. So obviously now moving on to your next fight, which is happening on Saturday on the Groves versus Cox Undercard Wembley Arena. You're taking on Patrick Nielsen. Now, when this fight got announced, I've got to be honest, I was a little bit annoyed, and the reason why is because this is a really really hard fight. But Nielsen hasn't got that big name to the casual fans, and I knew all along that you really wouldn't get the credit for taking such a hard fight like this on the back of a loss, obviously a close loss. But it's gone massive under the radar in my opinion this fight what's your take on that and do you agree with what I'm saying there yeah 
chat about him. I mean, yeah, I mean, um, he is, he's only one for the purists who will know him. I mean, you, you, some people ask, oh, are you fighting? I say, Petra Nielsen, they say, oh, who's that? Where's he from? Like, they haven't got a clue. Do you know what I mean, but it's just the diehard fans that, that know him and know what, what a tough ask it is. Do you know what I mean? People, people think it's, it's a, a fight for me to just get back in and get some runs on about it's, it's not that at all. It's a real 50-50 fight. One, I'm confident I'll win, as always, but it is, it's a hard fight. It's not, it's, there's no gimme here. No, not at all. And Patrick Nielsen obviously being world-ranked by every major sanctioning body. I remember when Callum Smith was supposed to be fighting Darrell for the vacant WBC title, they both obviously went their separate ways, an injury and a pull-out and all that stuff. And he was actually, at one point, um, he was actually in line to fight for it. I don't really know what happened with that, but obviously that he didn't end up fighting for it. But of course, he's also ranked number one in the world with the WBA. Obviously, his record 29-1. and one. He's a southpaw like yourself. His only loss came to Dmitry Chudinov. That's the guy that Chris Eubank Jr. obliterated, really. But do you know much about Patrick, John? Uh, I've, I've watched bits of him. I've, I mean, I've not drove myself too mad because I think you, you can think too much into it and... Yeah. People can look good and bad on tape, and you can think, right? Well, you can look at him on tape and think, do you know what? He's shit. And then you can get in the room and think, God, he, he didn't do that on the tape, and he ain't, he ain't shit. He's he's good, do you know what I mean? So I, I, I look into it, and I, I don't take too much from it. I look at their shot variations and what they throw, their habits. But until you get in there, you really you really can't know because looking at a tape, you can't judge how hard they are, how awkward they are. It all depends on on what day of the week it is and how they come out that day purely. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Obviously, as I said there, he's a Southpaw, you're a Southpaw. How do you feel about, uh, you know, getting in there? How do you fare about? How do you fare against fellow Southpaws? Obviously, the only one that, that I can remember just jumping out at me without looking at your record was obviously Billy Joe, which was, as we all know, a very close fight. But how do you fare against those uh, generally? Yeah, I mean, I don't mind them. I think I, I think when he boxed two Southpaws, I think that was Billy Joe in the fight with Joanne Bloyer in preparation. But um, yeah, no, I've, um, I don't mind it. It's, 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 it's a weird one. Some people say that two Southpaws don't gel well, but I don't know. I think I don't think there's a way this fight can't gel. I think it will be a a fight for the fight fans, and there's no way they shouldn't enjoy it. And I want to ask you this, because you may know the answer to this. Do you know how the whole sort of card is going to be set up? Like, for example, obviously, the the main event, and I believe maybe one of the fights on the undercard, correct me if I'm wrong, is on the, the, the £10 pay-per-view thing. So will it be your fight and Eubanks' fight? I, I really don't have a clue to it. I'm not, I'm not too sure it works. No, fair enough, fair enough. I was going to just say that because I'm so tempted to buy it. And if your fight's going to be on the, on that, you know, part of that as well, then I'm definitely going to buy it. Right, moving on to uh, the next question. And obviously, this is one we don't really want to give too much thought about, John. But should you lose this fight, Joe Public will say John Ryder's lost three of his last four fights. I've never even heard of Patrick Nielsen, obviously not knowing he's a better fighter than Rocky Fielding and Jack Armfield. Now, obviously, the plan is to win the fight. But what happens with each outcome? This fight strikes me a little bit of a high-risk, low-reward fight. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, they all like get to this stage and it's... Um what you're doing it for, do you know what I mean? And I'm in, I'm in the fight, I'm in this game for big fights, but yeah, lose this fight, there won't be too many more opportunities knocking at the door, so I would really have to evaluate things and, and see where I go from there. I mean, 
it's not from the want to train. I mean, I, I train my, my bus, I got everything in the gym, I train hard, I, I, I live right, I eat sensible, I don't go out partying. I, I'm, I'm a, a family man, I stay indoors with my missus and my baby. I'm, I live life, do you know what I mean? But it's just one of them things, it's, uh, p- people don't understand that, you know, I've lost, lost, uh, Three, three close fights on points that could have gone either way and I know I lost to Blackwell by getting stopped but people people are quick to write you off after three, four losses and not knowing the depth of, of decisions you've lost or where they've been and you've lost it's just, it's, it's quite a shallow sport if you um, if, if you let it drag you down it really will but um, I'll I take it for it I mean I've 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 had a lot of good times in boxing and I hope I hope to have a lot more good times in boxing, but it all depends on Saturday night. I, I believe I'm going to win and win well, but if all else fails, who knows? Who where do we go from there? It's a it's, it's an answer question that I'll cross that bridge if it comes to it. You're right there about the shallow sport comment. Obviously, you know, as as we say, the the, the Joe Public kind of casual fan really uh, makes up the numbers, really, because there's more of those than the actual hardcores, which is kind of crazy. And um, you know, they they don't look at as you said there things like a close decision and and all that. They're just looking at the L or the W, pretty much. Um, yeah. So as I said there, John, you you know you answered what you'd do if you lost. You'd you'd reevaluate things if you won this fight. As I say, obviously, you know, you've you've fouled but, but very closely at British level. This will catapult you onto the world scene a little bit because, as I said, this guy's ranked with all four of the top boys. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's got a good ranking with all of them. I mean, so winning this fight, I mean, uh, it should potentially open a few doors. I mean, um, I'm not I'm not in a rush. I'm not going to run before I can walk. I mean, I've, I've, I feel like an old pro now. I mean, I still feel like I've got plenty of miles left on the clock plenty to give. I still feel, I mean, I'm 29, but I still feel young, I still feel fresh. Um, I know, I've, I've, I've always wanted the British title, I've always wanted the Commonwealth, I've always wanted the European, so they're all avenues I'd, I'd be willing to explore, but who knows what, what opportunity comes up as to what I take next. Yeah, it doesn't really matter which order they come up, but we'll take them all. We'll take them all. So the main event of that card on Saturday, uh, you know, George Groves against Jamie Cox. A real, a, well, I don't know. Some people are saying it's not a fifty-fifty. From my standpoint, it's a hard fight to call. How do you see it? See it playing out, John? It, it is a tough fight. I mean, we we know what to expect of Groves now. He's he's kind of had what of an Indian summer, some of an Indian summer. He's on his fourth attempt. He's won the world title. And done it in good style against a good good fighter. Um, Jamie Cox, I feel like he's a bit of an unknown quantity skill. I mean, we, we've all heard the stories and we 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 know what he's about, but we've not seen him produce the goods yet in in the fight. But I think we could see could see the best of him. And who knows what Groves has got left in the tank? Do you want to pick a winner or do you want to sit on the fence? I, I've always I've said I've said Groves all along, and I think. I think Groves picked this fight with a purpose. Yeah. So I think I think a, a Groves win. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I think that's the general consensus anyway. What did you make of Eubank Jr. on the weekend? Have you seen a clip of that? Um, obviously, you, um, you were linked with that, unbelievable. With that fight for a little while, weren't you? No, not that I know of, but um, I, I just thought it was unbelievable. Wasn't there some talks a little while back about perhaps you and Eubank sharing the ring, no? No, not that I know of. Oh, that's what I heard. But um, uh, no, um, I, I did see it on Twitter once, but it was 
I think you end up fighting Tom Duran, but it, yeah, it was um, nothing on my part. But um, a good win though, yeah. Oh, great win! I mean, with the, the thing is with this Eugene, I mean, he was WBC international title sixteen and zero, but I don't really know who he'd got. I've not really looked into him, but it's one of them things with he. Yeah, he had the impressive record with the impressive knockout ratio, but I don't think that he'd been in the, with the level of opposition that Eubank had been. And I know, like you say, Eubank's got a loss to Saunders. It makes no difference. He's learned a lot from that fight, and, and he's come on leaps and bounds, and he's an absolute beast now. And he, he has got to be up there as one of the favourites for the competition now. Funny you should mention that, because he won that fight in the style that he did, he's now actually the favourite, he's just become the favourite, I think it might have been Callum Smith before that, but this win here was so much more impressive, I suppose, in the eyes of the bookmakers than the Callum Smith win, that he's actually now the favourite to win it. One question I want to throw at you, John, actually, Um, you know you boxed a guy called Adam Jones, he's a journeyman, but he's a tough, tough guy, I've watched him ringside a few times, right, and every, every time I'm at ringside, he's fighting, I tell everyone, and I said, this guy is tough, he's relentless as hell. Obviously, you've shared the ring with him. I'm right about that, isn't he? He's a tough, tough son of a gun. He is. He is. He's, he's, he's unbelievably tough. I watched him at the copper box the other week against, I can't remember who he was boxing. But was he boxing? Was I, mean, I, see, I see him the, the other week at the copper box. What show was that? It, uh, it was the Frank Warren show, wasn't it? When um, Billy Joe... Oh, the, was there? I didn't know you uh, was there. Yeah, I was at that show, yeah. Where were you yeah, sitting? I was in the cheap seats. Oh, right, right. I was down by <laughs> yeah. the ringside. My bad. I, I didn't know. Yeah, carry on. Go on. Yeah, no, just... Um, he was fighting that guy, wasn't he? The one from Fulham. Um, Zach Chelly. Oh, that's it, yeah. That's it, Chelly, yeah. Tough test. And Chelly started fast. And I thought, yeah. you know what? He might have done a wrong thing here, but he, he maintained it and he, he got the win. But, um, yeah, because he, he looked in trouble at times. Yeah, but, um, there was a couple. Chelly, Chelly kept it up, and you know, it was it was, it was good. He is, he is one hard man there. Yeah, yeah, he's never been stopped, and you know, he looks about fifty-seven, but he's only twenty-three or something. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's another thing about him. But no, I remember, um, yeah, that Zach Chelly. I think he actually had a late, like a last-minute replacement opponent, and he got Jones. And I was actually saying, listen, this could be an upset. Here. It's only like his third fight, but yeah, credit to him anyway. Um, yeah, that's that's about it from me, John. Anything you want to tell our listeners at all before you go? No, all good. I'm just I'm looking forward to this fight. I feel good. I feel in, in great condition. I feel like a super middleweight boxer now. I feel like I'm I'm growing into this weight still. Um, I'm looking to go in there on Saturday and put on a good show and more importantly get the win and get my career back on track and hopefully fulfil my potential. Absolutely. Tune in ITV box office on Saturday night. I don't know if the undercard is being shown elsewhere, John. Do you know at all? If you're not uh, part not, of that. Not a clue. Not a clue. All right. Well, we 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 tell our listeners just to keep your eyes peeled. This will be a really good fight. This is, uh, you know, one of the hardest fights on the weekend. Actually, a real a real hard fight to call, and uh, you know, a real test at super middleweight once again. Back to back hard fights. Now, okay. Listen, John. It's always a pleasure, mate. You know that. Best of luck for Saturday. We'll be pulling for you for sure, and we'll catch up sometime afterwards. Lovely, cheers, Joe. Thank you, mate.
Okay, and that wraps up episode 104 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Summer has been I as Summer. A big thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the boxing promoter and heavy breather, Mr. Richard Schaefer, and of course, the gorilla John Ryder, one of boxing's real nice guys. As always, though, the biggest thanks of all goes out to our listeners. A big shout-out to our regular listeners also, Ricey, the Valley Legend, Rob Gotti, the Mauler, the Stig, and of course, all the others. If you want to share out just hit us up on twitter or instagram at box hard podcast the prediction league is now at six for me six for eyes and five for you the listeners another three points up for grabs this weekend we've also got another competition coming your way in the coming weeks so look out for that enjoy your weekends people stay safe and we'll see you next week